Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here. And this week on the podcast, I'm joined by Chris Logston to discover more about the biggest logo design project he's worked on yet. And that's redesigning the Launch America logo for NASA. But before we get into that, if you're listening to this podcast on the week of release, We're coming up to the end of 2020 uh, with only two weeks left of the year. And uh, for many of us, 2020 could easily be described as one of the worst years in living history with the pandemic or the lockdowns and lots of other stuff that has happened this year. And um, as a way to show this year off, Michael at Logo Package Express has actually shared with me a discount code for $30 off uh, Logo Package Express. And he's created the promo code F. 2020, uh, which made me laugh. And it seems like the perfect way to end the year by telling 2020 where to go. So if you're not familiar with Logo Package Express, it's an extension for Adobe Illustrator that rapidly speeds up the creation of logo files. It used to take me more than an hour to create a comprehensive kit of files. uh, But this extension has allowed the whole process to take minutes instead. So if you are serious about logo design, I feel this is an essential tool to have uh, as part of your design process. So if you want to go learn more about Logo Package Express, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension. And again, if you use the promo code F2020, you can get $30 off up until the end of this year. For transparency, that is an affiliate link. So if you decide to purchase the product via that link, I will receive a commission and all goes back to supporting the ongoing production of this podcast. And that's absolutely no extra cost to you. And although 2020 on the grand scheme of things has been pretty pants, for many of us, there have been plenty of individual success stories too. I know I personally had a relatively successful year and I'll discuss that on an upcoming episode. Uh, But as a way to discover what people have been up to and to hear some positive stories, I did a post in the Logo Geek community to find out what people's success stories have been from the year. And reading some of those stories has uh, been an absolute delight. Uh, So much positivity within Uh, all of those comments. So thank you to everybody that contributed to that. Uh, It's been amazing to read all of those stories. And I'll make sure to include a link in this particular episode so that people can go and find that and read that if you want to go and uh, check them out, which I do recommend. But there was one story that stood out for me and uh, filled me with a lot of excitement and joy. Um, I've had a fascination with space since I was very young. So I've read plenty of books about science and physics and space and watched lots of documentaries about the cosmos and NASA. And I've been closely following what SpaceX have been doing over the past few years now. Whilst I never see myself going into space and have uh, very little interest in doing so, a dream of mine is to actually one day design a logo that does go up into space. Uh, I know I'm probably not the only one that has a dream like this. Um, I can imagine it's it's something that a lot of people would love to do. Uh, But for most of us, just because there's very few opportunities out there, uh, not many of us will have the opportunity. So anyone that does get that opportunity, it's a big deal. And um, can you imagine how I felt when... Chris Logston, who's a member of the Logo Geek community, shared that this year he had the opportunity to redesign the Launch America logo for NASA. And this was a logo that was all over the TV. It was printed as a 100-foot banner on the side of a building, and it potentially even went into space too. 
it's it's a real project of a lifetime. And um, I thought I'd invite Chris on the podcast so that we can dive into the project, learn more about how he got it, uh, dive into the process, and in general, just share that success with him because this is such an awesome moment as logo designers. We very rarely get opportunities like this. So uh, to be able to share this with him, share this with you and celebrate this success from 2020 uh, is a really nice thing to do. And within this interview, we also discussed how Chris got the opportunity to work under Gary Vaynerchuk, who is a big name in the marketing world. So that's a great story too. And we also end the conversation talking about logo books, which is one of my favorite topics. Chris is one of those people who will go out there and get what he wants. So I hope this story will inspire and motivate you for the new year ahead. So let's get into this. Here is the interview with Chris Logston. In the Logo Geek community, I shared this post to hear people's success stories from 2020 because it's been a bit of a rubbish year for most people. But I was surprised to hear how many positive stories there have been and I think one of the biggest ones is from you and it's one I'm particularly excited about because I am into space travel and I have been since I was a kid. So it's awesome to hear that somebody else has had the dream of creating a logo that's gone into space and actually fulfilled that dream. So I wanted to get you on to talk about that story and there's loads of other stuff that you do that we can chat about as well. But I want to focus on the Launch America project first. So I don't know where to start with this. So I'm just going to throw out a question with uh, how did you get this project to start off? <laughs> yeah, it's um, there, there's a wonderful story about it. And I kind of hinted at it in that comment that I left within the logo mm-hmm. community, um, which again, a huge fan of. Thank you for um, for opening that up to everybody. Um, so I, uh, I, on the side, beyond outside of just doing graphic design and, and developing, you know, brand identity and doing a lot of logo work, uh, I'm super into the motorcycle scene, specifically, you know, the vintage and cafe racers, um, those types of motorcycles. And uh, for a couple of years now, I've I've written and act as as a con- consultant to or contributor rather to a magazine called Iron and Air magazine that's printed here in the states, but it's certainly global. There's a lot of fans, um, you know, overseas um, that also subscribe to it. Uh, so I've been I've been contributing to that magazine for my gosh, probably eight to ten years, um, writing up you know different stories on on the world of motorcycles and and the history of them and certain individuals within within that community. And so I've had a really good connection with with two of the guys that started that. And uh, earlier this year, they had done some work uh, for NASA that I think they got because they built up that magazine so much. And they talk a lot about motorcycles and, and of course, and that extends to automobiles as well as just travel in general. So it, no surprise that someone at NASA probably took notice of what they were doing because the magazine is so beautiful that they somehow got in with NASA and they got a project uh, through them for Launch America, um, which if I understand correctly, is kind of, it, it either came back or it, it started when, um, you know, when the first SpaceX launch happened a few months ago, I believe it. I want to say it was in, my gosh, was it May? I think the first SpaceX launch happened. So long story short, they they got the opportunity to do some um, on-air graphics and essentially kind of establish the identity behind launch America. But at the time, because they were moving so quickly, they didn't have an opportunity to um, get at the logo, which if you haven't seen it, it, it certainly needed some work. Um, they did everything else, you know, in terms of, uh, the, the, again, the broadcast graphics, even down to the flight jackets that the commentators um, uh, during the launch were wearing, everything that they did all that, but they couldn't get to the logo. So when it came time to have the second SpaceX launch that happened earlier in November, they had reached out to me and said, Hey, you know, obviously we know you, we had that connection and they, they knew that I had done um, some brand identity work um, specifically with, with logos. And they asked if I wanted to be a part of it. Um, and you know, I mean, it's like, how do you say no to that? Right. So um, <laughs> it, 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 it was kind of a jaw dropping moment. It's like, wait a second. Cause I, I didn't actually, I didn't know what launch America was before that first launch. 
Um, and they had to kind of break it down for me. It's like, okay, so Launch America is that program that allows non-government agencies like Boeing, SpaceX, uh, the sorts to work with NASA and use their equipment in order to go to space. Launch America is kind of like the middleman from what I understand. So uh, just kind of getting, you know, in, in you know, a lot of information on, on what Launch America was, was kind of the, the first couple of weeks of just getting, you know, get, getting to know what, what, what it was, of course, watching the launch and seeing what it was all about. And then, um, yeah, November, we, you know, we worked up to that November launch to finally kind of, I think, rebrand or just redo the logo. So it matched what they did for uh, what, what my two friends did um, that Iron Air for that first launch. Um, so yeah, it was, it was amazing, you know, having to, to be able to like speak with NASA people who work there and, you know, running the, the, the logo work, um, up the flagpole of sorts to get approved, um, kind of a fairly smooth process, but I mean, amazing. Nonetheless, it's like how, how often you get an opportunity like that, uh, to work with such a storied agency like NASA to create something that hopefully, you know, becomes part of, you know, just another chapter in the legacy of design work and logo work. Um, within that NASA book. Oh yeah, it's it's an incredible opportunity, and uh, I, I know me personally, I would never see myself as a, an astronaut. But doing a logo design or a piece of graphic design work that actually gets put on something that does eventually go into space—that is amazing. And there's probably only a handful of graphic designers that have actually done that. You know, actually had their work go into space. So. Congratulations. <laughs> um, I'm very envious. Yeah. So. And here it's funny because I'm still trying to figure out if the logo actually got into, if it left the planet. <laughs> um, I think on, on some aspect of it, they said, yeah, it's it's on probably some documents or paperwork inside the shuttle. So I'm still trying to figure out if the logo left the planet because of, yeah, that's, that's just a fun thing, I guess, to put on a resume or something. Um, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, you know, I'm I'm really surprised because I, I, this, this is the first time that we've properly spoken verbally anyway. I know we, we've had a few chats here and there. So I wasn't familiar with your background or the type of companies you worked for. So I, I actually had no idea how you might have potentially got that project. So it's really surprising mm. that working with a motorcycle magazine was what it took to take you down that path. So were you actually just writing for that magazine? Yeah. So um, when they first started, again, I want to say about 10 years ago, I, I quickly started following them because at that time there wasn't really anything in the motorcycle community that was just well-designed and the storytelling and, and, and the written word behind, you know, um, the motorcycles and things like that were just good. There was just a lot of, I guess, generic type of motorcycle magazines that didn't really appeal to me. And Iron Air popped up and they just took a completely different approach. Um, again, they, the stories were amazing. They were well-written, the photography, the design of the magazine itself. Um, you know, shout out to Adam Fitzgerald, who was the, the creative director there. Um, and, you know, we just started following each other. Um, at the time, I had started my own little kind of side business called Godspeed that that was certainly rooted in the motorcycle community. So uh, Adam and I shared, um, you know, a love of motorcycle. And I simply just reached out to him and said, hey, I live in New York City, where I was at the time. There's a lot of motorcycle stuff happening here. The community is very, um, you know, uh, it's the massive community in New York City um, that we're doing a lot of things. And I asked and I just told him or offered him rather uh, to cover anything that would be happening in and around New York City as related to motorcycles. Um, and if I could you know, interview someone, if I could write for you um, as a creative director, I'm decent behind the camera. So I just offered up anything, all my services um, to him and say, so let me know if, if I can help. And he took me up on that. Um, fast forward a few years, I wrote, um, I wrote and documented probably, I, I want to say five to six different stories that found its way into the magazine. And then they also did a, um, a, a piece on Godspeed and a particular product that we make through Godspeed. Um, so the connection was, was there and Adam, you know, Adam knew I, I also, you know, was a graphic designer by trade and he'd followed a lot of the work that I, that I did that wasn't motorcycle related, meaning brand identity and logos. Mm -hmm. It was that sort of coming together of, Hey, we had the connection because we've worked with you in the motorcycle world. And we also see that you do a lot of brand work. We have an opportunity for you. If you'd be interested, um, could use your help on something, you know, and that was the, the launch America thing. Would you be interested? Yeah. That's, that's kind of how it, it came to life. So. Oh yeah. Amazing. And the stuff that you did for that magazine, was that paid work or was that just unpaid voluntary stuff that you did for fun? Completely voluntary. 
That's awesome. Yeah. It, it kind of goes to show that when you're a graphic designer, you just need people to be aware that you're doing that. And if you're interested in a specific thing, get really stuck in and, and get involved in it and, and get to know people because it's ultimately the uh, people that know you where those projects will come from. And uh, that's a project of a lifetime. And uh, you, I, I don't know if you thought it would ever come to this, but I, I would never have expected that writing for a motorcycle magazine would lead to an opportunity to work on something um, of this scale. It's it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think anyone would ever imagine that, <laughs> right? And that's why I'm such a big believer. Um, and and again, I know there's there's probably a, you could dedicate an entire podcast to this thought, but I'm still a big believer in doing work for free. Now, exercising common sense while you do it, of course, so you're not being taken advantage of. But even now, 15 years into my in, into my career, whether it's doing brand identity work or, or raising my hand and say, hey, I'll, I'll write an article for your magazine and I'll do it for free. I just know that something good's going to come out of that if the right people are involved, right? So mm-hmm. I'm still a big believer in doing free work when you feel like the long-term um, outcome of it could potentially yield something. Now, sometimes it doesn't, and that's fine. I still get, I still got a ton of joy around literally seeing my story in a magazine that went global. So there was some, um, some gratification that came out of that. Um, and it, and it's the same thing with logo work. Like I've done logo work for free, knowing cool. I'm either doing it because I'm I'm offering you know my, my services to someone who probably needs it. Um, and even in those moments, like that logo that I did for free years ago ended up, you know, that person who, you know, appreciated the time and effort that I put into that literally told 10 of his friends and they sent me work that was paid. So I'm, I'm a huge believer in, in putting yourself out there. Again, you have to exercise common sense around it because something like this could happen. And this is probably a really, this is the best case example, right? Like I didn't, six years ago, I didn't, have, I could have never imagine that writing an article for a motor, motorcycle magazine would have led to the point where I'm doing a logo for NASA. And that's where I think, you know, you got to take those things into consideration. Um, um, again, I caveat that with use common sense when doing work for free, but I'm still mm-hmm. a huge fan of it. And I think um, this is a good example of what it could lead to if it's done properly. Oh, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with it. And I've done a fair amount of things for, for free, just for fun, because I've enjoyed it. Um, and like you said, that could become a whole topic on its own. So let's park that for now. and We can go back to it a little bit later. So let's go back to this Launch America project. So you got the project. We know how you got it. So what did it look like to create that logo? What was the the process that you took to create that new logo? Yeah, um, it, it usually, it's pretty much the same process I use um, for the most part for any any assignment that I'm given. Um, of course, this one had a little bit more pressure on top of it considering who the client was. But first and foremost, a lot of communication with, with the NASA team. Um, at one point, we even had a, had a conversation with... Um, I'm blank. Uh, Richard Dane, Dan, Dan, Dane, who designed the worm logo. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> so just hearing some story from an iconic designer like that. Um, a lot of screen grab moments during that Zoom call. But um, yeah, just just a, I think a lot of communication. Under, again, getting just in depth with the brand and why it exists. Right. So um, asking all the right questions and make sure that I have a um, a breadth of information to reference as I'm going through my process of this mm-hmm. mark. Um, and then there, of course, there were the weekly check-ins. So a lot of communication happening, not just around the logo itself, but oh my gosh, like they're putting a rocket in space. So there were a lot of conversations I was involved in too that were really nothing related to the logo, but more or less just hearing these things like, you know, what they're working on, all these things that, that go into, um, you know, launching a launch. Um, so uh, again, just a lot of back and forth communication with, with, with clients. And then when it came down to putting pencil to paper. Again, this is where it sort of starts to take the path of what I usually do with any project. And that is just boiling down the key points that's going to then inform the, the work that I, I go do. Um, and uh, with this one in particular, you know, knowing that, as you can imagine, there might be a lot of red tape within the NASA, you know, with, with the NASA clients, how do you now set yourself up to have a really good first round presentation with them. So I typically like to, I approach it from like a, um, offering something that's pretty close in that I think is certainly good, but is an evolution of their current mark, which mm-hmm. for those who aren't familiar with their current logo, it was, um, 
It pretty much just said Launch America quite big. Then there was this kind of rather unusual shape behind the Launch America type. And at first, I couldn't tell you what it was. It just, these lines, I thought it was like a runway of sorts. Um, I just didn't know what it was and soon found out that it was the International Space Station. Um, it was a crude drawing or illustration of the International Space Station behind the Launch America type. Um, and the reason why that is there is because that's where the that's the final destination of the astronauts when they take off. They go to the International Space Station. So uh, I think what was interesting, too, in my initial reaction to them, not understanding or knowing what that was, I think that was pretty telling in that it, it was a time, you know, it was, it's time that the logo, you know, needed an update, uh, needed an update rather, because you just mm-hmm. you couldn't tell what it was. So um, the first approach was, OK, how can we just essentially maybe evolve this this current mark into something that is, you know, abides by what I uh, my kind of three principles of graphic design or logo design. Um, it's like I'm pretty much drafting off of uh, Tom Geismar in this, but it's it's making sure that the logo is appropriate, making sure that it's distinct and memorable, and then make sure that it's simple. So going through that that process and checking all those boxes, you know, for this first approach, meaning just let's just evolve it, make sure we're we're doing all the things that we should to do proper logo design, and see what that you know where that nets out, and we'll we'll call that option one. And then I went off and created a bunch of other options because they were open to it. They're like, hey, show us one that you know will certainly do what it needs to do, but then you have freedom now to go explore some other options that might potentially scare us, um, which is great when a client allows you to you know that freedom to to do that. I do it regardless, but sometimes when a client gives you that, it's a it's a it's a good moment. Um, so I, I think ultimately I brought back five different designs for them because, as you can imagine, it's space, right? Like there's so much you can do um, in in this category in terms of creating again. So um, I think ultimately, yeah, I, I brought back five different approaches. Each of them had some connective tissue to the original mark. It wasn't from the. It wasn't really like I just made this one up because it feels right. There was some you know, pulling out of certain elements and just simplifying them to create a different option that, that we could consider. But it was a range of the first logo I'm going to show you is the really nice evolved version. And then I'm going to take you farther out to where the last one, you know, is is radically different, but worth considering. And, you know, especially when we, when we put them up against the other ones, you know, let's have that critique of the marks just to see where, you know, where, you know, where, where the chips fall. So it was a really amazing presentation. Um, and, uh, yeah. So as you can imagine, just exploring the different things that you would associate that would be appropriate for a space design um, was a super amazing, fun um, space to play in and, and design against. I'd be really curious to see those five designs, but I know that you're probably not allowed to show them. Um, but I've always enjoyed seeing the behind the scenes process stuff. So I, I can imagine that there's some uh, really good stuff in there with this project. There's some fun stuff in there, and then again, it all underlined this idea of how do you how do you imagine bringing a, a Launch America logo to life? There's a lot of different avenues you can you can explore. So going through all that and and you know carving out four or five different options there was, was fun, and some of them were so so badass and, and fun to to put together. Um, but ultimately, they chose the uh, the one that was pretty much the closest to their current one, although it's. It is radically different. Um, again, going through my process of just, you know, creating a logo that I think abides by the rules of good logo design. Mm-hmm. I'm super proud of it. And internally, and this is just part of, you know, dealing with clients. Um, internally, it's it was the easiest one to sell through because you could make the argument that it's not too far out. It's still recognizable as a Launch America logo. You can kind of, you know, put the old one and the new one up and say, oh, I could see how we got to this point. Then trying to sell through a completely radical one, uh, a radically different one, rather, like option five, um, perhaps that, you know, it's like, what am I looking at? What is this, you know, compared to, again, the one they chose, which was, oh, okay, yeah, I can feel how that feels similar to the old one. Let's, let's run with that one. So it was, you know, for for the NASA, my my day to day client, um, it was easier for him to kind of sell that through, um, because it was fairly, they shared some connected, um, or some shared DNA um, with the current one. Yeah, yeah, I I could see where it originally came from, and I I remember that first one. I was struggling to work out what it was like you did. It looked like some kind of um, weird pyramid kind of thing, <laughs> but I I did I I did obviously work out eventually what it was meant to be. But now with the version that you did, you can see where it's originated from, and you can definitely see what it's meant to be. 
Um, so, <laughs> yeah, and um, and just it, it, I I also had the unique context of or advantage rather of seeing it in action during the first launch when they used that mark during the first launch and almost seeing where the logo either worked or for the most part where it fell you know fell flat you know when it got really small it you I mean my gosh it pixel mush right as they call it um, you couldn't really animate it you know and the, the team did a good job doing that. But even then, it's just like, what is that thing behind the type? Like, for the most part, if you're not in the NASA community or the space community, you have no idea what that is. Again, I thought it was a runway of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was me trying to figure out, like, I don't know, maybe it's like something taking off a runway. Um, so the the mark that they ended up going with, the push there was to let's get the International Space Station, which arguably is the coolest part about the logo, because otherwise it's just type. Let's put that front and center, right? Let's let's get it off of the the skewed angle look. Um, let's make it more prominent. But then that logo also had to be flexible. That was the other aspect of this mark. Um, that was part of the brief was that the logo. Um, it's not always going to say. It may not always say Launch America. It might say Launch Crew One, Launch Boeing, Launch Starliner, things like that. So the logo had to be flexible. So the construct of that mark and and why we um, why it worked out so beautifully is. From here on out, the the and if for those who have seen the new mark, the uh, the solar arrays, which are the sixteen bars, eight on each side of the logo of the, the the Launch America type that sits in the middle, those are essentially kind of bookends to where the type can always can change out, um, but the logo can always, for the most part, stay consistent because you're just changing the type in the middle while the sol- solar arrays or solar panels. Um, always kind of bookend the type. So it now becomes a very, very flexible mark that they can use, um, hopefully, and you know, for as long as the program lasts without having to change the logo every single time there's a new launch. Um, so again, those, those iconic solar panels from the International Space Station worked out so beautifully as just bold graphics um, to, to encase the, the type. And there's some nice crossover too, you know, you know, for the United States having the stars and stripe there, there's a beautiful overlap between those bars being symbolic of, um, America, but then also referencing and being symbolic of the international space station. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't mind digging a little bit more into the presentation side of things, because I know that you, uh, mentioned that you presented five different logos. How did you go about presenting each one of those like are you able to talk through uh how many people you was presenting to and and what the slides or whatever it was that you worked through were yep yeah and and i usually don't present five logos i'm more in the camp of three to four ish Mm -hmm. um so five was you know five was um one more than i usually do but it's because it's nasa i'm doing space stuff i you know something i've never done before so um there were a lot of things that surfaced in my um, exploratory of creating these marks that was it, it just I wanted to share out and at least have the conversation. Um, so in terms of the presentation itself, I think there were um, at any given time, there were, I think, three to four NASA folks. Um, again, this is all done through uh, Microsoft, whatever um, digital presentation, mm-hmm. uh, like Zoom, Microsoft Office thing it's called. Mm-hmm. So all done from, you know, distance, considering uh, the, the pandemic, obviously, we're, we're living through right now. But um, as I usually do for any presentation, I, all my logos always start in black and white. Um, and the reason why we do that, and, and you probably know this, as well as a lot of your listeners, um, it's, it's the first time you can actually look at the mark and remove anything that doesn't necessarily need to be there just yet in order to just discuss the concept of the mark. Um, it's the logo in its simplest form. So that way, you know, we're not necessarily talking about color or even sometimes fonts. We're just concentrated on this particular graphic in black and white to discuss uh, the meaning behind it and everything that went into it. From there, I then build upon it. We introduce some color. Um, there are also some, uh, as I usually do, uh, once we go through the process of looking at the logo in black and white, some color options. I even like to show them if the logo is constructed in a way, here's how type could work. Um, horizontally or stacked just to show them how flexible the mark can be. Because as we know, logos have to live in a variety of contexts these days. And you need a logo that can, you know, sometimes that won't fit in a horizontal context. So what is the vertical, you know, how does it flex to to sit in something more vertical? So showing them uh, variations of the mark, logo variants, as I call it, um, is always baked into that that, um, presentation as well. And then I get into um, just in-situation mock-ups, right? That is a lot of times that's the unlock for most clients because they just can't necessarily picture what 
what this logo looks like in their head. They need to see it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So um, I believe I created four to five different scenarios in which I placed the logo, whether it was um, on a big banner, well, uh, mocked up outside of, um, uh, mocked up uh, on the side of the the VAB building, which is the vehicle assembly building down there next to the launch. It's, a, it's where the space shuttle sits vertically and they work on it because um, the, they were going to put a banner um, on the side of the building. So I, I mocked up a, a banner with the logo on it on the building, as well as small objects, right? Um, what does it look like when it's on an iWatch as a little small, like the size of an app? Um, so I'd like to show them even a breadth of just sizes to show that this in, this logo, in fact, works when it's small and also when it's big from an app to the size of a, a banner outside of a large building. Um, and then I just repeat that process for all the concepts. So it's kind of, um, yeah, it's just it's pretty straightforward. But giving them as much context as possible around each option is so important because it allows them to have just the, you know, considerate, um, you know, in, in these different uh, scenarios. Um, and then at the very end, as I usually do, I put all the logos um, on one page so we can see them together. And that's when we have sort of that, you know, discussion around what are we liking? What are we not liking? Let's let's hear it. Gut reactions is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, I think it was probably like a 50 slide presentation that went through everything. Um, but again, a, a fun one nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And with so many people involved, because when... Um, being honest, most of the time when I'm working on projects and I and I do a presentation, it's normally to one or two people. So having four people on the call is quite a lot of people, and that's probably the same for you. I'm, I'm assuming. Um, so was it a case of them picking one during that meeting, or and you did kind of answer this already? Um, but what happened after you presented that? Was it a case of them agreeing on one and then taking it? further to present to the people above them or or how did that work? I never ask any of my clients to choose a mark during that first presentation. Okay. Um, I think, yeah, I I think it's always good to, I I ask for, you know, gut reactions. Like, is there anything here? Are there many major red flags or anything that really jumped out in terms of the options we we put in front of you? But I always follow that up with, but I don't want you to choose one right now. It's a rare occasion that actually happens. And I think that only happens when you have like the key decision maker in the room and whether or not that person, that CEO or CMO is like, that's the one we're going to run with it. We got to move. That's a rare occasion. So most of the time, as it was in this, it's let's talk about it. Let's hear any, again, let's hear any initial reactions behind what we're liking. And usually we'll kind of go around the room, so to speak, and say, which one do you like? I like this one. I like this one. This one's cool. You know, I didn't get this one. You know, could you, could you explain that a little bit further? Um, and it's pretty telling because a lot of times you, you just, you get some good, honest feedback. Like I can't make out what that is. What is that? And a lot of times that's like, all right, maybe it's not as clear as I need it to be. Um, and should that logo move on? That's usually part of the feedback. It's like, all right, let me tweak that. So it's a bit more clear because three out of the four clients in the room didn't understand what I was trying to do there, but they still liked it. Is there room for improvement? Um, so getting, again, getting that initial reaction is, is very telling and very good. But then I, I, you know, if, if the timeline permits, Hey, let's, you know, let's marinate on this. Let's sleep on overnight, you know, shop it around, perhaps get some, get some, you know, some feedback from those internally, um, if that, if that is needed. Um, and then hopefully get, you know, a pretty consolidated list of feedback, um, before we get into round two. And that's where you try to call down, you know, from five logos in this instance to one or two. But this one was actually quite interesting in that it moved fairly quickly and seamlessly. I was surprised. Um, and it was because we showed them that one option, again, that I still love, the one that eventually got chosen. That was the one that just felt super close in, but it definitely fixed everything around the current logo that needed to be fixed. And it was it was an easier sell through. So um, I think the feedback on round two was, um, thank you for all the logos you showed. We're going to move forward with this one. Um, you know, you can table the other four. And let's let's keep moving on. Mm-hmm. So after that meeting, I assume that you would have made any tweaks, updates, and, and so on. And then was there then a follow up presentation with just that one logo? Yeah, yep. So there were. Um, interesting enough, after round one, when we knew we were going to go with the one that eventually chose, um, my main client wanted me to bring in a few other ones just to show the breadth of what we did. Um, but we were very, he was very, um, you know, he, he stated 
right at the top of the of that second presentation where we brought in more NASA folks who who had to be in, in on it to just know what we were doing. He let them know, hey, we chose one, but it's, this is just good to see the work that we've done and to, mm-hmm. and to talk about why we're moving forward with this one. So it was it was an interesting opportunity for me to just explain my my process as it relates to logo design. But um, yeah, so between that first round and that second round, I had some just minor minor tweaks that I wanted to make myself um, based off of what I was hearing after round one. Um, and then it was again, I think, my gosh, it was it was probably and oddly enough for an agency that big, NASA, you would think it would take forever, but it it moved fairly quickly um, after we had identified the mark that we wanted to move forward with. That's awesome. I'm glad it went so well for you. And um, yeah, I can I can see it was definitely a highlight of the year for you. So just before we move on to like the 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 next section of questions I do have for you, how does it feel now that you've done that project? Um, it's amazing. And I, I just, you know, to hint at the, for those who didn't see my comment, um, in, in your post, the best part about all this was I grew up in Southern California. I was an air force brat. So we moved all over the world, having spent time in California, overseas in Japan, and now upstate New York, I moved every four years as a kid. And when we were stationed in Southern California at an air force base called Edwards, um, Edwards is located right outside, uh, at the time there was a NASA, a NASA compound there that my dad um, worked security at. He's always been in in law enforcement and he somehow got um, a position as a security guard on the NASA campus there. So I grew up going in and out of that campus and seeing a lot of cool things that I don't think a lot of kids my age at the time, I think I was like eight or nine, would have gotten an opportunity to, to see and experience. And of course, we have a lot of photos from that time. So just having that sort of like NASA, some part of NASA, you know, baked into me as a kid you know, fast forward, you know, oh my God, I'm 39 now, um, almost 30 years later to, to kind of be back in that world and to, to be working on such an iconic brand and, and, you know, adding to, again, um, adding some logo work to a storied agency that has tremendous amount of design work, um, as a part of it was unreal. And, you know, it really hit me. Um, you would think that during the launch and seeing it all over television and how it, it was animating and the different places it was showing up was would have been the best part, which it was. It was, it was, it was a great part. But my parents were watching it too, and they FaceTimed me during it, and my parents were in tears because I think they were feeling that. I'm sure it was a mix of nostalgia for them as well as you know just being proud of their son. Um, so just having the opportunity to give my parents that opportunity to to be a part of that and, and to have to feel those emotions was arguably the best part of this entire project because um, I know it meant a lot to them. Um, and so it, it, it's one of those things where you know you hope something else can come along later that also brings that level of excitement and, and, um, and enthusiasm. I, I don't know if it ever will. So, but uh, I'm just so happy and humbled to, again, have had the opportunity uh, to be a part of all this and, and to develop something that hopefully will we'll live on for, for some time. Yeah, and I think with something like that happening during 2020, which for most people has been a pretty rubbish year, that's uh that 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 that's a huge deal for any year. So congratulations for that. And um you know your backstory, your um so you you mentioned that your um uh, was it your dad? He worked in the military, so you would move from location to location. I actually thought that background was maybe what got you into this project. So it's um, it's amazing that it it kind of all went full circle, and uh, you eventually worked on a project for NASA in the end. So congratulations! Yeah, I appreciate that. Both both my parents um, were actually in the military. They they met in the Air Force when they were stationed at uh, I hope I'm saying this right Upper Hayfield in um, in the UK back in the early eighties, I believe. Um, so yeah. And then we, then we moved around as the life of a air force, um, brat goes every four years, you're pretty much up and move somewhere else. So, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you was the perfect person to work on it anyway. So I want to move on to some of your background now, since we have time. So I found out that you work as creator director for Sasha group and for anyone that's not familiar with that, it was originally part of Vayner Media, which is owned by Gary V. And if you're into marketing, advertising, or anything like that, Gary V is a huge name. So it's a pretty big deal to work for that company. So 
Do you want to tell us more about that role and how you got into that originally? Yeah, and I'll try to like quickly move through it because there's some some parts to it. So, um, I I graduated um, from from college in oh my gosh 2003 um, with a BFA in graphic design, a Bachelor of Fine Arts in graphic design from the College of Saint Rose in upstate New York. Um, getting into the world of you know my first job kind of threw me into the world of advertising, where I was certainly doing some design work, but I slowly navigated my career to get more into the world of just advertising work, meaning big campaign ideas, less graphic design, certainly art direction and graphic design was a part of it, but it was more or less coming up with and ideating big ideas for big brands. Um, and I had worked for two agencies prior to um, coming over to VaynerMedia. Um, my second agency about, my, I think, 10 years into my career, um, I'd done a lot of work for traditional work, like you know, developing TV scripts and um, writing radio scripts and doing out-of-home um, advertising for some pretty big clients, Pepsi's, Wendy's, MasterCard's of the world. Um, I got to the point in my career where I just felt like I just wasn't in love with it anymore. And it was, and, and, and listen, I was being paid very well. I liked the work um, as a very super comfortable position, but I was just kind of one or 2% unhappy with what I was doing with my life. Um, and right around that time, I had been following Gary um, and all the things that he was doing. And uh I had a chance opportunity to meet him. He uh, has, has very Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, as he usually does. Um, he was trying to sell one of his books. Um, and he was just <laughs> jab, 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 right hook. And um, he was doing this crazy, you know, if you buy X amount of books, um, I will give you something in return. Um, so he even had a barter option, like making me an offer. So I bartered. Um, I, I told him I'd buy 10 of his books and hand them out to 10 deserving friends of mine if I can get three minutes of his time for a meeting. And he accepted it. Um, and, uh, I had the meeting and it was, it was for a wine idea that I was actually working on completely unrelated, you know, in terms of asking him for a job, I, I actually needed his wine Rolodex for a Godspeed project that was having to do with wine. And of course, you know, Ian, it sounds like, you know, him, like he's really you know, in depth in the, in the wine world. Mm -hmm. uh, and so he gave me a ton of connects. It was awesome. But the best thing that came out of that meeting was I had an email connection with him now. So six months later, um, after, you know, again, just not really liking where I was, um, at my agency, I shot him an email and I said, listen, you know, I'm an idea guy. I have a lot of experience on some pretty big brands that VaynerMedia now has. I truly don't know what you do there at VaynerMedia, um, but I'd love to be a part of it because I'm looking for a change. Um, and we all knew that it was like the world of advertising was going in the direction, certainly more digital. And now at that time, this is going back to 2014, 15. So uh, he said, sure, come on over. And um, uh, the first year I worked, uh, ironically, on, on Pepsi, which I had worked on in the past. So my first year at VaynerMedia in New York City, um, I worked on uh, on one of their, their big brands there. And um, it was awesome. I mean, it's hard to really explain what it's like to work inside the halls of VaynerMedia. And as you can imagine, it's pretty pretty crazy, but fun, especially when you have a uh, a leader like, like Gary, who is very rare to work for and have the opportunity to work alongside with. Um, and uh, about a year after working um, in the New York office, uh, we had an opportunity to move down to Chattanooga, Tennessee to help open up um, an office in the Southeast, um, again, in, in the state of Tennessee. So I was part of the first, I think there's 20 of us that moved down there to open up an office in Chattanooga. And the reason why I mentioned that is about two and a half years into opening that office, that's when Gary decided to... Um, sort of uh, rebrand us as the Sasha Group, um, particularly at that time, he wanted to be able to service small to medium-sized businesses, not the big, you know, Budweiser's and Toyota's of the world that could afford Vayner, but a lot of those, a lot of those smaller businesses that, you know, didn't necessarily have the marketing budget to the tune of whatever, 250000 a million dollars just to, to spend, or actually it's higher than that, to spend, um, you know, with an agency like, like VaynerMedia. So Gary wanted to open up a smaller um, sort of setup um, hence the Sasha group. So, uh, for the next couple of years, um, we were, we were doing a lot of different stuff for smaller size businesses, some mom and pop shops, some, uh, startups some tech startups. And it was, it was interesting time and, and interesting clients to work with. And, um, all along I'd been doing a lot of design work on the side. I, again, I was kind of getting back into, to, to creating logos this, pretty much just for fun. And, um, there were some opportunities within the Vayner world where Gary was starting some new company or something. And um, again, this you kind of probably this thing that I continually do throughout my, my course of my career is just raise my hand and ask for the opportunity. And around the time that he had uh, talked about 
um, starting BannerX as a holding company because he had so many other companies that he needed a holding company. Those, he needed those companies to live underneath something um, that was VaynerX. Um, I asked him to if I could just take a crack at designing the VaynerX logo. And he said, sure. So that was the first logo that I had done for Gary. And I've now done since, I think, my gosh, I've done eight or nine or 10. Um, so I, I kind of started quietly doing it for free for Gary um, under within the Vayner world. Um, I was also doing some stuff on the side. Um, I had a little side thing called 10 to two hashtag 10 to two on Instagram. That was just me sort of documenting my, my process of working on things that I liked doing, loved doing like logos, you know, from 10 o'clock at night till two o'clock in the morning, because that was the only time I, I had to be able to work on just fun, fun, personal projects. Um, and then what, what, what happened next was sort of this beautiful blending of all aspects of my life in that. A few of our Sasha clients came to us asking if we did, if if we could handle doing brand identity work. Like, could you guys do logos? Could we do other things? And that's when I asked Gary about transitioning from a traditional creative director, which I was at the time for the Sasha group, to focus more on the branding asks that we were getting from, you know, more and more from these clients. So that transition happened about a year ago where I left Chattanooga, Tennessee to move back up to New York. Um, to focus primarily on our brand identity offering that we um, that we now offer as a service uh, underneath the Sasha Group. <laughs> Do you know what I really love about you, Chris, is that you don't sit there and wait for someone to tell you to do something or or you don't sit there and wait for some opportunity to come up. You literally ask for it and go out there and get it. And that's why you've been able to work for Gary V. And that's why you've been able to get this uh, Launch America project as well. I, there, there's so many. I, I think I think that's something that a lot of people can can learn from because people sit there and they they think, oh, I don't get any opportunities or this never happened. But something that I've learned with my podcast and other stuff that I've been doing with Logo Geek, you just need to go out there and get what you want and and ask and create the opportunities for yourself. And you're a prime example of somebody that that does that and. Uh, that's why you're where you are today. <laughs> and, and again, and you're such a good case study of that as well too, right? It's like, you know, how you've been able to grow the logo, you know, the logo geek brand is a good example in that you, you just, you pick up the phone, you send a DM, you write an email saying, Hey, would you want to be a part of this? Or can I do this for you? And you'd be surprised for anyone listening. You'd be surprised at how often the response might be a, a yes. Right. So oh, yeah. I mean, what do you have to lose? It's like, you know, Gary said, no, don't do my logo. It's like, okay, cool. I'm like, I'll go do everything else I'm supposed to do. But in the event, in the off chance that that person, that company says, sure, like, there you go. Because again, you'd be surprised at how many people literally just don't show up and ask. It's the easiest way to get in with anyone. It's just simply asking. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, it could go one or two ways. Either they say yes or they say, no, you have literally nothing to lose. And I, I've been really surprised with this podcast uh, as an example. When I emailed Tom Geismar to invite him to be on my podcast and bearing in mind at that time, I'd only done like one season. I had no expectation that he would ever get back to me. But literally 10 minutes after sending that email, I, I had an email back from his uh, assistant, I think it was, that literally said, when when would you like to do it and how long do you need and that literally blew my mind and um in your case being uh observant and seeing when someone uh like Gary V who to to get 3 minutes from him that is a big deal and i i think to to have got that in exchange for uh 10 books was a bargain because that means that you uh, got that direct connection with him. He got to know you. So when you did reach out to him uh, for a possible um, opportunity, he knew who you was and was was happy to uh, communicate with you. And uh, I, I can imagine that Gary V has thousands and thousands of thousands of people demanding his time. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Fair play. We didn't got moved about 20 times. So yes. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, one, your, your interview with Tom Geismar, I've listened to it multiple times. Uh, amazing interview. And yeah, to that point, Ian, do you know how many people probably are kicking themselves because they actually had the email to Tom Geismar in their inbox and they just never hit send because they were too afraid to hit send, right? Uh -huh. And now they're, 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 they're kicking themselves because you did it first. And he accepted you, right? Like th that's, that probably is true to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And 
it's it's amazing how you know whether it's just some insecurity, just some fear of rejection that holds so many people back. But um, you know, I think you and I are both good examples of if you simply lean in, you know, put yourself out there, raise your hand, and just ask. Um, more often than not, I guarantee you, more often than not, that situation can come about if you just put yourself out there. Oh, definitely, definitely. Now we have about five minutes until you need to make moves. I'm going to throw one last question at you. So, oh. I was scrolling your Instagram feed Uh-oh. for in preparation of this interview, and I noticed something. You have a common love of logo design books. You've got loads there. So. I want to ask you, what's your favorite logo design books and why? Man, loaded question, Ian. And uh, <laughs> I have to blame um, uh, Christoph from Logo uh, Logo Book. I know Christoph, good friend as well. Yeah, such a, I mean, such a genuine human being. Um, he has cost me a lot of money because of all the books that he posts that I then go try to buy myself. Um, but um, yeah, and I'm sitting here in front of a, a huge wall of uh, logo books that I'm sure a lot of us have, but then some rare ones that when I get stuck on something, I really go after it um, when it comes to like trying to find rare and unique things. And um, probably the, the one that I'm most proud of, and, and Christoph helped me, um, is the, um, I'm going to pull it out here. One sec. <laughs> collection of, it was done by Deco Press. They're, they're 10 of these books. You may have saw the photo on my Instagram. Oh, I know the books you mean. They're really and, expensive and they're really yeah. hard to get hold of. And you know what? I <laughs> I was actually scrolling your feed and I saw a couple of books and I'm like, I'd really like that one. But trying to find it, it's like it doesn't exist. And you know what? That really makes me want it. <laughs> and I, and that's what drove me mad trying to find them. So I, I actually, I came across one of them on um on on ebay or craigslist and i was like what is this book it looks really cool it was only one I, i'm sorry it was actually three of them someone in tennessee of all places in tennessee had three of them that i think came from a library and i paid probably a hundred bucks for the three of them and i'm so i would have paid a thousand just for those three because the books themselves are are gorgeous one the shape of them and the size is so unique it's more of a it's almost like the size of a brick in your hand it's more vertical than it is horizontal and it's pretty thick i think they're about my gosh um i'm looking here real quickly they're not even the numbers aren't aren't uh there's no page numbers but uh there's about a thousand logos in each book and there's 10 books in this set each book covers a different country so um, again, if I if you hear my voice kind of fading, it's because um, I'm looking over my shoulder. Yeah, it's fine. I think we get that. <laughs> um, so th- it's like it's Great Britain, Ireland, um, America, Italy, France, like all the companies, and the, each book it covers a lot of the designs that came out of those countries. In the, I want to say this this came out in, in the mid '70s, and then to top it off, the last three books, numbers uh, eight, nine, and ten, are um, are labeled. They're like the annual. So I think they. They chose the best from 1977, 78, and 79/80 of those first seven books, and put um, put them in the last three books um, as a sort of a you know best of. And um, I had three of them that were decent condition that I found, but then of course when I found out there were ten of them, uh, I had to go find the rest. And so <laughs> I ultimately I reached out to 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 Christoph, and he found someone in Italy who had the, the complete set, um, almost in in prime condition. I paid a lot of money for him. Um, I ended up selling the three I originally had to help, you know, help put towards the complete set. But th- uh, this set is probably my my favorite of um, of my collection. Christoph has also got me some really cool books from Paul Ebu as well, which um, I'm very grateful for. Um, but for those of you who want to get into something really interesting and exciting, that is certainly much more uh, cost efficient. Um, my dogs are going to start barking. It's fine. We'll we leave it in. It's funny. Like when we're near the end of the episode, so it's fine to have a little bit of background dogs. It, it gives some, it gives some background to your life as well. You know, people know that you have dogs, so it's all good. Um, logo archive magazine. I'm sure you're very aware of it. That to me is some of the coolest stuff happening right now in terms of like getting printed logos. So um, with the dogs going on behind me, I will end it at the logo archive. <laughs> Archive magazine um, is quite a fascinating thing to um, to get every other time they print them. Yeah, I, I love what Richard Baird is doing. He's um, 
yeah, he's he's really taking that places now. He's really expanding um, the the Instagram feed and the, the 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 smaller books, and and so that people are aware of what those are. They are basically A five magazines with about five or six sheets of paper, so they're really thin. But I I do agree with you. Uh, Richard puts a lot of time and and uh, puts a lot of attention to detail into the quality of the material and. I, I just think he's doing an absolutely fantastic job with those. So I, I, I do agree. I'm also going to give a shout out to uh, Logo Modernism, which I think is a good mm. uh, reference book for logos for anyone that doesn't want to go out and spend uh, a few hundred pounds on those smaller books. But I, I'm kind of kicking myself because I remember a few years ago, I was interested in that book collection and I swear I saw a a uh, complete set for about two or three hundred pounds and oh, it's probably worth a lot more than that <laughs> yeah and, and i i failed to mention the title of it so it's called the top symbols and trademarks of the world um that's the that's the set it was printed by deco press in italy um but yeah you missed out on probably a great time to buy those things yeah uh, and to your point logo modernism <clears throat> just so you know that was actually i think the first logo book that i that i got that started this whole charade of me collecting logo books and while it doesn't cost, um, I think you said over a hundred pounds, it certainly weighs a hundred pounds. Um, it's literally the size of a coffee table book. So it doubles nicely as, um, or a coffee table, coffee table rather. It's one of the biggest books in the collection. I'm sure you have it on over there too, but it's Yeah, massive. I do. Yeah, it's huge. It's probably the biggest book that I've got. And I, I love the trademark, uh, trademark and symbol books by Yazabaru. I can't remember a surname, but I'll link to it in the show notes anyway. I need uh, I need to get that one. And um, I will quickly just shout out two other books and, and we'll call it quits on mine at least. There's a book called Logo World that I think is certainly everyone should look into because it's something interesting. And it's something that Christoph and I have been talking about. This Logo World book, um, I believe it was written by Pauly Boo, highlighted the um, the Logo World Festival, I think in 1994. Are you familiar with this? Um, I've seen it on Christoph's feed and he has a whole load of books that I'm quite jealous about. <laughs> he's actually friends with Paul as well and created a book with Paul as well. So he's uh, a good person to know if you're fascinated by Paul, I, Paul, I, I, is it Ebo, Paul Ebo, Paul Ebo? I don't know how to pronounce his name. Ebo, but I'm sure Ibu. there's a way to pronounce it. But definitely for those of you who are interested, go get this book because in 1994, Paul Ibu put together, um, along with some other well-known designers, um, a conference in Belgium, I believe, um, where they highlighted, it was a show, it was a conference of just logos from the top designers of the world at the time. Um, and it's an incredible documentary, like documented, uh, or book that documents that festival, which is, I never even knew it happened, which is great. Um, so definitely check that book out. And then um, another rare one that I've recently had just fell, fallen in love with that I think Ian, you would love it. It's called Seven Designers Look at Trademark Design. Um, mm. It's a wonderful book um, that um, has seven designers who discuss trademark design. Some of the designers listed here are Herbert Bayer, um, Paul Rand, um, just to name a few. And it's an incredible, it's a hard to come by book, but it's really interesting, um, especially to read written word by, of course, Paul Rand and his his take and his approach on hmm. logo, not just logo design, but trademark design um, in terms of how you leverage um, the different assets of a brand to create a broader uh, design system beyond just, you know, a logo itself. So those are two books that I would highly recommend for those um, who are interested in trying to build their collection. Fantastic. And I think what I'm going to do now is go on eBay and go and look for those books. Uh, but anyway, Chris, we should wrap this up. Uh, it's been really great to chat with you. I'm glad that we did this um it's been fascinating learning about the launch america project and um everything else that you've been doing as well so thanks so much for making the time to do this and hopefully everyone listening has enjoyed it as much as i have thank you for your time ian i'm, I'm humbled and grateful for the opportunity um so thank you so so much so I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And if you want to connect with Chris, what I'll do is I'll link to all of his social channels within the show notes for this episode. And you can find that by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 108. And within that page, I'll also link to any of the books or resources we discussed and a transcription of the interview too. 
And if you want to chat with myself and Chris, make sure that you are in the Logo Geek community on Facebook. Uh, it's one of the best places to chat about logo design and meet other logo designers from around the world. And you can find that just by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash community. Now, this is actually the last episode just before Christmas. So if you're listening to it in the uh, week of launch, I want to wish you a very happy Christmas. And I know this year is going to be a little bit different for most people uh, listening to this. But I really do hope that you and all your family have an absolutely fantastic Christmas. And for the podcast, I'll be back around the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast.